Hi and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Laura Davis, who is a friend of the podcast and a very good friend of mine, one of my favourite people. I really enjoy talking to her all the time and I'm glad that I can bring you one of our conversations. Uh, This week we talk about uh, the ethical dilemma I'm currently facing. We talk about travelling, moving, uh, rage, uh, suicide, all sorts of things. I hope you enjoy listening to it anyway. I... I don't really mind one way or the other. I'm very glad I had this conversation, as I'm always glad to talk to Laura. So thank you if you have been contributing to the Patreon. Uh, that's very kind of you. It really helps me do what I do. And uh, it's it's a delight. It's, it feels very tangible as a form of support, because I guess because it is. And uh, thank you everybody who's been emailing me, alicerfraser at gmail.com. Thank you everyone who's come over from The Bugle podcast i really love that show i it's it's always been such a thrill since the first time i was asked on every time i have i have to kind of pinch myself that it's the thing i've been listening to that podcast since about 2010 and so being on it is uh, dreamlike and excellent and fun so if you've come over from that i'm sorry this is not a funny satirical news podcast this is me having tea and talking about difficult ideas with interesting people. So a completely different recipe, even though one of the ingredients, me, is the same. Uh, That's it. I'll stop rambling and let you get on with listening to the show. You're having tea with Alice. All right. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a Russian caravan tea. Which is not my favourite kind of tea. Is it? Would you dare to say it is your least favourite tea? Uh, if it's a good... Qu- I think it, it depends on the quality. Mm-hmm. But a bad Russian caravan tea from a bag tastes mm. like a Russian caravan. And I don't know why that's appealing to mm. drink something that is like licking the floor of a horse stall. <laughs> I think that's the taste. It's just smoked. Uh, smoky, sort of grassy, sort of mm. horse stably. Yeah, it's like the outdoors. Yes, I, d- I, like, I, I like my tea as an indoors flavour. <laughs> so what have you been All thinking about? All tea just tastes like the plant that it is, though. That's true, which is a leaf, I yeah. guess. Um, have you been thinking about wrestling with things at the moment? Wrestling with things? Any ideas? Uh, enemies? Enemies, thoughts, um, plans? Maybe, yeah, thinking a lot about travel because I'm doing that for the first time. I've never been overseas before and I have to go over many seas. Yeah, you're going to Edinburgh, which is very exciting. Yes, and Malaysia. I've said this before, but I will say it again. I think you're going to nail Edinburgh. I think Edinburgh will love you. I think you will love Edinburgh. Thank you. I mean, it's just like a festival dialed up. All right. You'll totally, you'll be, you'll be great. I feel like it can't be bad. I, I don't appreciate it, but a, a lot of people, when I've mentioned that I'm doing it, have come forward with fairly aggressive negativity. So quite a few people will go, oh, I, what are you doing for the rest of the year? Oh, doing Edinburgh. They go, oh, you're going to have a terrible time. You're going to cry alone at night on the floor and you're going to try and kill yourself four times and then you're going to fall in love and have your heart broken and you're going <laughs> to cry some more and <laughs> eat the cheese alone in a field. <laughs> and <laughs> you 
it's just this kind of tirade and you have to nod through it like it's <laughs> some sort of fortune teller. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'd uh, go, oh, I think it might be okay. And they go, no, you don't even know what it is. You haven't experienced anything. You don't know what it's like. And well, I go, oh, isn't it just a, like, I've done Melbourne Comedy Festival ten times now, plus, you know, Perth and Adelaide and Sydney and all of the other. Surely one Edinburgh is not 20 other festivals. Well, it sort of is. It's about 20 other festivals. All right. But that's totally... Ma- like, I, I think festivals are what you make of them. If you go out every night and get drunk and have wild times, by week two you'll be having a nervous breakdown. That's obvious math. I guess if you go into it on the verge of a nervous breakdown, it probably will give you the push you need. Yeah. I, I think if you treat it in a workmanlike way, you'll be fine. Okay. And by workmanlike, I mean... Sensible, rather than the way that Michael Workman treats things. Yes, I'll go in with with workwomanship, with pride. Like a, a wor- I like workhorse, gender gender neutral. Yeah, possibly. Uh, is a horse? Ge- yeah, horse is gender neutral. Yeah, yeah. You're not talking not a work stallion or no, anything. No, a work mare. Yeah, I've been places where it were like work mares before. Mm. I d- I've been moving, that's what I'm yeah, doing. Yeah, you have. Before. We're sitting in the lovely living room of your Airbnb. Yes, so I'm in an Airbnb for two weeks and then I'm subletting. But it means that all my stuff is in storage now. Which is what hurt the most to put into storage? Probably mum's wedding dress. Okay. Which I have and I've worn to other people's weddings, weirdly. It fits me and I like it and it's just a silk dress that... um. My dad bought this Thai silk when he was there and then my aunt made it into a dress and it's relatively plain and I'm, I don't wear it often so there's no reason for me to have it mm-hmm. and to take it between places and to take it to Edinburgh because basically what I've packed now is what I'm taking to Edinburgh. I'm living out of that suitcase for an extra yeah. month basically. Yeah. But yeah, it does feel weird to to sort of consign it to space that I don't really have control over even mm. if I have a key to it um, other than that I've got everything I think that's super important yeah art supplies and storage yeah those things that you like to use always hurt to pack up I think mm. um, or, or even leave behind even when I go on a trip stuff like books and watercolours I always go oh, I would love to to pack those because maybe I'll get because it's it's a, a recreational thing that I like doing but I know there's there's not going to be a time for it and if there was I'll do something else instead you know yeah you don't need them but I'll go for a walk you'll miss them yeah, <laughs> yeah I feel I felt that way and there's two paintings that I have one which I did and one which a family friend did that mm. I've packed away that I would feel bad if they got broken or lost I think some of my most valuable possessions like in terms of sentimental value (laughs) are like these rocks that I have travelled with from Perth. It's quite difficult to pack rocks because I I moved over here on on You can hardly wrap them in paper. (laughs) No, absolutely not. They dissolve. I I moved here using kind of, uh, I I flew back and forth a few times and each time I brought more and more stuff 
and would check an extra bag until they weigh and stuff. But I have some rocks that are from the base of a cliff that I nearly jumped off when I was, I think, 18. And it just sits, like, on the mantle, a very innocuous rock. But, and it, you know, completely valueless. If I wanted, I could go and replace a rock. But, yeah, I... At that particular time, as depressed as I was, I had the foresight to well, not jump, but also take a souvenir from from the bottom. So you you went to the top, mm-hmm. and you contemplated the bottom. Yep. And then and you then walked c- down to the I bottom. I climbed back down. And I went. And I checked the bottom, <laughs> see <laughs> see how it would feel if you were just there. And I went. Nah, I'll, I'll take one of these. <laughs> Just yeah. a reminder. I also have a photograph from the top. It was a really lovely night, actually. I, I walked, I was staying with a, a friend's grandmother. We were working at a restaurant that was nearby. We'd been away from home. And it wasn't so much that I was having like a particularly bad time or depressive episode or anything. It was just I was pretty lost as a, a teenager. And my friend was working and I wasn't. And there was a comet passing at that particular time and I really, really wanted to see it. So I walked what would probably be maybe seven Ks or something, like quite quite a long walk through the bush to the beach where it was the best place to see the comet. And kind of while I was killing time before the sunset, just kind of was climbing these cliffs and got to the top and went, oh, oh that's, that could be an option. What if, oh, that would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> Just that, you know, very bleak. And, you know, kind of had a good old think about it. At one point, I'd convinced myself that it really was the sensible thing to do. Which, you know, not saying maybe it's not the most sensible thing to do, but maybe not the nicest. And, yeah, then worked out, well, if you don't, it was quite transformative in that I went, okay, well, if you don't, you do take this rock from the bottom instead. So if if your life doesn't end now, what's it going to be? What do you want to do? Because I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna throw you off here if you unless don't. Unless you have a unless a you have a me. reason not to. And it was exactly then where I went. Ah, oh, I think I'd really like to perform. Like I really like to to you know do do stand up and do. Um, you know, any sort of speaking work was kind of this thing because I was, I was desperately shy and couldn't talk to anybody, um, which, you know, meant that it was more of a surprise for people when I started, but it logically in my head makes more sense if, you know, I was just too shy to talk to anybody, but I really wanted to, and that was where a lot of the why don't you jump off a cliff tension came from. And like, well, I am gonna jump off a cliff unless oh all right i'll go talk to some people and <laughs> make me feel a bit better yeah and it's easier to talk to people as an audience than it is to talk to people yeah i think i'm good at it now it was a, a whole fake it till you make it kind of a, a system uh and you know it really did work and i joked about this in my last show about how doing stand-up you in inevitably do it quite badly and you feel what it feels like when you're doing small shows you feel what it feels like to have say 20 people all hate you at once 
there's going to be bigger shows and bigger shows. And at the moment, the most people who've hated me at the same time is 2,000. And now, for me to be scared of a situation, you would have to get 2,001 people on your side. <laughs> and they're hating me at once before I went, oh, all right, that's a new level. <laughs> and, and, and even <laughs> then, like... Even then you could probably take them. Yeah, how many people can you fit on a bus? Like 18? Nothing. Not a lot. There's a lot of logistics involved in intimidating <laughs> you at this point. Yeah, there really is. It takes a bit. But my torch died on the walk back, I remember that. So I watched this comet so happily, feeling so excited as you can at 18 when you're away from your parents and alone on a beach. The things that I would never do now for fear of the world... <laughs> That I did not have at 18. <laughs> Technically, I'm a more fearful person now. Just, you know, not afraid of men or <laughs> anything. Just on a beach in the middle of nowhere, watching a comet, looking at the stars. I went, oh, okay. Well, I feel better. I'll walk home now. And my torch just died in this <laughs> uncanny metaphor. <laughs> as soon as you're like, I have life purpose. I feel amazing. I am going to go and fulfill my destiny. Oh, I didn't charge up for the return journey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to grope through blackness for three hours trying to find a small light in the darkness. Oh, God. Yeah. Did you make it? Oh, look, I'm still here. I definitely made it. I, I did have to hide, though. It, I remember that whenever a car passed, I would have to duck into the bushes because I was too afraid that someone might snatch me i guess like those opportunistic there's a woman kid <laughs> walking alone along journey at night so whilst i did kind of want to flag someone down and get a lift i figured it was safer to walk yeah <laughs> duck into the duck into the woods and hide yeah that's an interesting so you have that rock what do you think when you see it nothing i think rock yeah, but I, n I just like the rockets a lot. It's about the same exact same dimensions as a chicken's egg. Uh, it's very satisfying to hold. Um, I, l I like it a lot, but I don't, I don't imbibe it with the <laughs> the gravitas of its memory <laughs> very often. You know, it's just. But I know that I don't want to move house and leave it behind. Yeah, I think I think. I think I usually like moving, but this one threw me a bit for a loop. Yeah, it's not a fun thing. I moved three times last year and it was <laughs> probably psychologically traumatised me on a level that I can't tap into <laughs> and it's just manifested in, you know, various other ways potentially. Do you feel at home where you are now? No, not yet. And I think that's... I really like my house. I really like my housemates. I like my room. I like um, the rock that I keep in it. All of those things. But I think I've peeked too far behind the curtain. And now I just see a landlord and a real estate agent. And mm -hmm. The fragility of the rental yeah. market and your own place <coughs> in that as a non-power yeah. player. I, you know, I expect to be evicted every day. Yeah, the, the the sudden sense you get of being subject the subject of other people's power yeah. when you move house that you have these whims that you have these people who are you know often very young mm. and not not necessarily people who you would think in normal life that you would 
have to bend the <laughs> knee to, you know, telling you that the walls oh need to be Lord. wiped down and that you can't have things to hang pictures on and yeah, like all of that kind of thing is a bit... Or just you can't live here anymore. Yeah, which is what happened <laughs> in mine. That th- yeah, the r- oh, by the way, this place is not yours, it's mine. Yeah. And but when you go, hey, this place isn't mine, it's yours, can you fix the light that electrocutes us every time we touch it. And you go, oh, no, that's not really our job. It's our, our house. We like it that way. Yeah, we like we like <laughs> being reminded of the fragility of life. I've got a rock for that. My doors don't close properly. Like, they lock, but there's a big gap underneath and, you know, leaves and occasionally mice come in. And, but, and you know, by, by proper building laws for rental properties they have to fix it but we also know if we ask them to fix it then we won't live there anymore and they'll find somebody who doesn't care about <laughs> sweeping out leaves from the inside of a house yeah it, it yeah i i wonder Outdoorsy. if that balance will change we've gone for a very long time without any kind of i think it's because as a nation we have the second longest stretch without a recession of any nation in mm. history or since they started recording that particular It's very odd to be rate. pro-recession. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 it would make housing more affordable. I, I just feel, I mean, I think historically speaking, there's a long way wi- down from here for the impoverished renter. Yeah. Like we're not flop houses leaning over ropes and paying a couple of pennies to hot bunk with somebody else. No. So it can get a lot worse than this. Of course. Be and look, I love having avocado on toast. I love it. I'm not swapping. One of the best meals that you can have, really. Yeah, you can survive off it, which is sometimes what you need to do. Yes. Yep, one of the best meals I had in my whole life was avocado on toast at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. Yeah, we were talking about that before. Times when you're very, very hungry and somebody... Anytime, I think like a nourishing stew is probably... Maybe not even when you're very hungry, but when you're very worn down, I think. Uh, touring a lot, too, you very rarely eat a meal that was cooked in a house. And then... Yeah, there's that, s- that hashtag, sad MICF meals. Oh, one year I was... contributing to a bit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I can't contribute to that hashtag, sad MICF meals, because it's not fair. I really, I really win it. (laughs) I, I like food. I like eating. Uh, I eat too much occasionally. Um, If I am busy, I, if I'm preoccupied at all, and you know this is that very pretentious art is food uh, kind of thing. But if I'm distracted by what I care about the most, I do not. I was writing my show with a big bag of avocados that I got from the markets uh, discounted when they were closing for like, I think $6 for about 10 avocados. And I had a knife and a spoon and I sat there for about a week and just would eat half an avocado for a meal because I don't care as long as (laughs) I can keep working. And so coming home late at night, I'll... I'll put some oats in some hot water and add a splash of honey. And it's not porridge because I, I just I put them in the cup like you would tea leaves or something like just loose, <laughs> like they don't get stirred or anything. 
they don't go soft and gooey like a nice porridge is. It's just wet oats with honey. It's not muesli. It's not. It's not. Yeah. It's, it's, it's some horrible abomination it's somewhere in between. It's a punishment. <laughs> my problem with it is For not planning better. No, my horrible problem is that I have. I think my my mum and my brother have it a lot, and look, maybe everybody does, but I have a like a biological wiring where I crave whatever I ate the day before. Like I get into habits, habits almost immediately, mm. and I find it. Yeah, it's quite hard. It's quite good if you're trying to form good new habits, but it's terrible. And so I, at one point during Comedy Festival, went and bought myself lovely food, made, spent a whole day putting lots of effort to make a pasta bake and some, you know, cakey kind of things to eat when I got home. Got home and immediately all I wanted to eat was wet oats. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was all sitting there, this deli- these delicious meals, and my whole body just went, um... What if you just put some oats in a glass of w- slightly warm water and sculled <laughs> it and went to bed? <laughs> uh, all right. <laughs> I did make this. But I couldn't eat the other stuff. I was not satisfied or excited to eat it at all. I had to eat wet oats. That's just on it. it took a while to weed off <laughs> wet oats and microwave rice with tuna on top. Yeah, I'm weirdly healthy during festival time. Yeah, we've tr- I've gone with you and tried to find something for you to eat late at night. It's difficult. It's difficult because most of the places that are open late at night don't cater to my specific prejudices <laughs> <laughs> that food. Sh- I mean, p- yeah, particularly in in festival. I d- I don't know. Maybe that's why I didn't find Edinburgh such a terrible trial. Mm. Uh, is that you know uh, emotional. Issues aside, you're gonna cry. You're gonna kill yourself. You're yeah, gonna kill no. yourself four times. I mean, the first time I did it, I was probably still in mourning, and yes. also having trouble with my producer, um, mainly because I was quite sad. Yes, um, and couldn't be as excited and keen as she would have <laughs> liked me to be. Um, but yeah, I. Uh, that, uh, apart from that, it's just a matter of. You're just doing a job. You're just yeah. there to do a job. And it's amazing. There are so many opportunities to see other people's stuff and to meet and hang out with people. I can't wait. But if you get to, you know, whatever, 11 o'clock at night or even 10 o'clock at night, although I can't do that this year because my show's at 10, but you get to that point and you're like, I should go to bed. Then you're a grown-up. You can just go to bed. You don't oh, have to I love stay out leaving. 4 o'clock in the morning. Leaving a party is probably the most excited i ever even if i'm enjoying the party leaving a party that i am enjoying is euphoria i I am having a good time and i am leaving (laughs) i don't care i think probably slightly above that for me and this is probably why i'm not very good at socializing is giving (laughs) myself permission to not even go to the party in the first oh yeah that is very fun I could go to the party, but I've taken my pants off and I'm in tracksuits now. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, I've let myself, I bribe myself to the shops with no bra. Just to go, hey, you you get up and go get yourself some fruka breakers. I won't make you wear a bra to the shops. I'm like, all right, Laura, deal. Bargain. <laughs> that is a good 
steal from me and you. It does mean you have to go to the shops with mm. your arms crossed, though. Yeah, I just wear a big coat. Ah. Not like a tactical. S- not like a, a sexy telegram lady or anything. Just like so many layers then. That it's yeah. indistinguishable. Yes. I I was talking to you about this the other day, but I'll repeat it because I still haven't come to a decision. Right. Uh, which is that I have an ethical dilemma about mm-hmm. bras, which is there's a very, very, very comfortable bra that I bought about a year ago, and it is very comfortable. I reiterate that because it is probably the most comfortable bra I've ever worn. It's got all this extra strapping, which is meant to look sexy, but in fact works as sort of scaffolding and just makes mm-hmm. it much more sort of supportive and comfortable. It's like someone following you around, cupping them with their hands yes, at all times. It's like they're free of gravity floating around on a cloud. It's very comfy and they don't dig it doesn't dig in. It's got very ex- like wide shoulders. Again, it's, it's just good. Good. I did have to paint the inside of it with um, nail polish over some of the rivets because they were starting to go a bit green recently. So I've had it for about a year. Wear it every day. But Im- almost immediately after I bought it, I looked up the company that sold it, and they don't treat their employees very well. No, this is the sexy lingerie cult. Yes, so they have sort of uh, this kind of upselling regime, and they put a lot of pressure on their employees to wear the sexy clothes that they sell, and put up with harassment from male clients, and they, put, you know, they incentivize them to sell, 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 and a lot of them are very unhappy. Some of them are very bought into the whole cult thing. Yeah, well, um, every cult needs its leaders. That's uh, how uh, they so work. I feel like maybe I shouldn't buy from them, but they're not—they're not below a certain point. Like they—they they still pay their their employees minimum wage. Mm-hmm. It's still Australia. We're still a first world country. There are mm-hmm. certain rules that protect employees, and w- you know they can quit their job and find yes. another job. So it's not like they're actual slave labor. No, and it's not a low skilled job. It's not the bottom of the pile. Jobs wise, it's not vulnerable people applying for that job. Yeah, it's, it's people you know, who want people. a retail job but want it to be a bit fancy. Yes, exactly that. So I don't want to work at Maya. How dull! I'm going to join a lingerie cult. Yeah. So I don't know how I feel about it. Whether I that the the, the, the reason that it's sort of pivotal now is because uh, they're having a half price sale. Mm. So I don't know where my ethical responsibility is in this uh, spectrum. I think all you can do is go in, buy a half-price bra, and whilst you're in there, convince... I guess since it's half-price, maybe, what, two extra customers to leave <laughs> the store? I was thinking I could buy uh, off eBay or something, someone who's bought it and then it hasn't fitted. But then I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about second-hand underwear. Oh, well, you know, I think, I think bras are s- washed bras they've tried it on yeah and it didn't they advertise it as a stinky old raggedy thing that <laughs> they've worn a thousand I'm sure times there's a market for that on the internet yeah somewhere. but you have to pay it pay more money yes because i say buy the uh, evil bra and then don't make up for it in other ways yeah petition take a picket line up the front of the shop or something yeah go to the ACCC and report them yeah, or maybe, what if you went in there with several job vacancy forms for whoever was working there to to fill in? There are better things than this. 
or just stop some sleazy customers harassing them because apparently that's one of the worst thing that's one of the things that people object to is that that they have to be polite to sleazy customers mm. men who come in and say things <laughs> which i mean i mean look part of me as a feminist part of me feels like that's outrageous and part of me feels like there's so many people who are so very angry about that particular brand of oppression and I don't think it necessarily warrants quite the level of upset that it gets. What do you mean? Because it's very upsetting and annoying Mm -hmm. and sort of cumulatively it gets you down. They are just saying things. They're just saying words. It is a there's a perceivable lack of respect. Yeah, I think that's though. probably yeah. It's more it's more what it implies than what it yeah. actually is. Yeah, I don't like being talked down to or catcalled or anything because it makes me feel like the subtext of that is hello. You need to know your place because that yeah. I get to say this because I could kill you if I wanted. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's particularly the sickening feeling when someone yelps at you at night or says something to yeah. you at night, then when that's a real reminder of your place in the Yeah, because you can't retort order. because they might strangle you. Yes. I, I'm not saying it's a morally neutral thing to happen. It's definitely mm. on the bad side of things, but I don't know if it is the worst Particularly in a retail situation. I don't know. I'm probably wrong about this. I feel it's going too close to an asking for it. No, no, no. I mean, that you're that part of the... I mean, I, I was reading these reviews by these ex-employees of this company. And one of them was saying they kept telling us that we had to be polite to these men who would come in and make sleazy eyes at us or suggest that we would look good in the bras. And I sort of feel like... I mean, as a retail employee, your job is to be polite to people of all kinds of mm. levels of awfulness. I mean, maybe not be happy about it, but your job is to be polite. I feel like, though, if you flip genders on that or anything, it's still not right. Like, you know, it wouldn't be acceptable for that to happen to anybody no but equally you know centrelink employees have to be nice to horrible mad people all the time Mm. not that everyone who goes to centrelink is horrible or mad but that is a proportionate statistically likely um and probably slightly more highly represented in the unemployed community than in the fully employed community people who will shout at a cashier or Mm. i don't know no, I mean I don't need to know, but you do if you're going to buy that half-price bra. I do. Maybe I do. You got to get to the bottom I of it. Get to the bottom <laughs> of this. Do I feel affronted by the fact that they're required to be polite to sleazy people? I feel maybe I feel from my upbringing I'm quite obliged to feel to be polite to terrible people, mm. even when they're really terrible. So maybe I just maybe this is just me perpetuating a cycle of abuse. Yeah internalized in my instance not that anyone's ever told me i have to be polite to horrible people coming from a a rich line of yelling people <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I feel so 
you don't feel like you have to be polite to horrible people? Not anymore. When did that tick for you? I uh, I worked at a restaurant once and the woman in the kitchen used to hit me. Um, never as like a, you know, a beating as a punishment or something. Uh, I'm not very old to know. This was, you know, 2009, <laughs> I think. Uh, but just uh, would kind of slap me as she walked past to get out of her way or something. And I bottled it up because, you know, admittedly I really did need the job. I'd been picked for the Comedy Zone showcase they do here. But they didn't offer any sort of financial support for interstate acts. So you had to... Do they do that now? I think they do offer a bit more support. Um, the year I did it, you got your flights and no no other um, yeah, help. So you had to pay for a month off work plus accommodation plus, you know, and not, you know, food and stuff isn't a huge expense, but just being out of home and being away, it, you know, it does, it does chalk it up. Um, but anyway, I did need this job and she would hit me and, and yell and I just kind of bottled it up and bottled it up and bottled it up <laughs> until she hit me the, probably, you know, probably literally the hundredth time and I exploded, yelled at her a lot, scared her a fair bit and, you know, it was maybe my second last shift or something like that and I think that was the moment where I went, oh, you're going to need to learn when to step in with yourself <laughs> and so prevent this yeah i try not to you know jump down people's throats or anything but i think because of my temper i have to be very good at getting in before i'm angry so if somebody is bothering me or doing something that i don't like or definitely wrong <laughs> I need to I need to step in and deal with that calmly and assertively before I get pushed too far and lose my temper yeah I don't know I, I feel afraid that I have a temper but it's never really popped up in that every I've only ever got really angry a couple of times we can make like an amazing emotional obstacle course for you yeah <laughs> i feel like well, i would like to sit and devise something when i get angry i immediately sort of withdraw from the situation see this for me to plan this this would require like uh, you to be oblivious it would just involve a lot of extras a lot of actors uh it would be you going throughout your life having the worst day ever <laughs> but I mean, this is the thing. What happens is I I I withdraw and then I get, I, I sort of try to process it internally, mm -hmm. which I think comes across as a, a sullen or sulky. Maybe I don't I don't know this for sure. I haven't had that particular critique, but I think that's sort of how it comes across. I ju I just go quiet for a while, either like I di I'll disappear out of the scene or I'll sit in the corner. Yeah you until I can digest it all and then return to the scene of the crime. I yeah, I was I was raised and you know, maybe genetically prone to uh large bursts of anger followed by fine. Uh so to me the other side of anger is always fine. There's 
yeah. which you know, and I do know that's not the case for everybody, and I try and make sure that's not. I didn't know impactful. until I was in my twenties that you could have a fight with a friend and <laughs> be okay afterwards. I thought that w- that having a fight with someone meant the end of the relationship. Yeah, I think I've got a r- pretty good a hold on it now, but <laughs> there are times where I will lose my temper with people. But you know, as I've practiced and spent a long time l- learning personal development. Uh, I will get in early, I will, you know, and it, it can be hecklers uh, who are out of line, out of line, you know, not just that, nah, you're a shit comedian or something, but somebody who said something uh, derogative or disgusting or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, and I'll let rip. Uh, and people go, oh, wow, you really lost your, your temper, and I'm left s- nodding but secretly knowing how easily they got off. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, you thought that was losing my That temper. was a 4 out of 10, <laughs> and it scared you. Let's <laughs> Let's not look there. I'm going to get in my car. I had a guy in the front row of a gig in Canberra tell me to open my legs, and I made him eat a dry barotta on stage. Mm. That was more because I thought it would be funny than because I was angry. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I, th- I mean, I had, I had this can of barotta on stage because... I was the headliner and all the guys, young men before me, had all boasted about how great it was to drink on stage. Mm. Enough that it was sort of a theme of the evening. And because I don't drink, I had a can of Barocca in my bag and I thought it would be quite a funny thing to make a Barocca out of a glass of water and drink it. I think I was the only one who found that funny. (laughs) (laughs) But it meant that I had that Barocca to hand when this guy said the thing. Yeah. I mean, you can't let someone get away with that. No. I nearly got into a fight with a man at a gig in Perth. I was in the crowd watching, waiting to go on. I think I was close to last. And uh, older man just kind of comes up, starts whispering into my ear to have a conversation whilst groping at my stomach and hip. And I shoved him away. I was like, no, no, that's good. Thanks, mate. Off you go. And like that's pretty, it's assertive and getting off pretty lightly. Yeah. And then he kind of came back five minutes later, did it again whilst apologising, going, oh, sorry, I, you know, I was just... And at that same time, his hands on my hip, his, you know, tongue's in my ear. Ugh. And I shoved him away again. And then he got angry. I'm still being like... I'm, I'm, I'm mad, but I'm also pretty resigned to the fact that I work in bars. It's shitty... Uh, He's there's lots of people. I'm not physically afraid of him at the moment, <laughs> but you know, fuck off, mate. And then he lost it at me and told me I shouldn't be so rude and as if he'd want to fuck me anyway. And don't flatter yourself, bitch. Uh, I love that that swift <laughs> turn. From I don't know where that is in a man's consciousness, but it is continually present. That suddenly going from oh yeah to like. Oh, I don't want to. I had a guy who was a heckly guy say, I wouldn't want to rape you anyway. Oh going my from yeah, that's I a classic. To I wouldn't. <laughs> and thinking that that's a scaling up of the <laughs> insult. That that's the next level up. I, I find that very funny. Well, the security was quite close by and I kind of alerted the. But in that moment, like, this man was drunk. He was a bit bigger than me, but definitely not as angry. Uh, and 
Yeah, the kind of look the security guards gave me of, don't worry, sweetheart, I'll step in and rescue you. <laughs> oh, no, you are... <laughs> You're you rescuing him. You uh, you have to get this man away from me because I'm going to go to the police <laughs> station in a van tonight if you don't. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, no matter what they do, it's still illegal to assault somebody. <laughs> well, For uh, minor dis- <laughs> you know, misdemeanors. Yeah, I mean, I, I would claim self-defense that you felt that you, you perceived uh, a threat. I think, yeah, once the point where they step back a few steps and they're just shouting at you that they wouldn't want to fuck you anyway and you're uh, flattering yourself, <laughs> bitch, you know. They're not a threat then. I'm just real mad. No, that, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's good to have uh, a, a big person in a I could, I could blazer have, step in. I could build a case for you. Thank you. If, if, that, if that does happen. I think this podcast will go down as incriminating evidence. <laughs> 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 Uh, just make sure it's always self-defense is the rule. But if you, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, I'm i excited about you going to Edinburgh. I really am. Well, I might have a great time. I'll be there. We're going to have a great time. I'll yeah. tell you all the places to get avocado on I'll toast. I'll try not to get into any fights. No, no, I mean, oh. Nobody can see me on this podcast, but I am a small, sweet-looking lady. You are, but you've got you've got the fire in you. <laughs> it's one of the reasons I like you. One of many, many reasons. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, they can find me, look, if they go to my website, lauradaviscomedy.com, they can find my Twitter and my Facebook and all those other dull things. Uh, I'm trying to make a mailing list, and I've... <laughs> I've signed up with MailChimp. I'm very bad at it. I don't understand it. And MailChimp is being very helpful and sending me an encouraging email every morning that is breaking my heart. <laughs> being like, guilty. hey, are you having trouble with MailChimp? Because uh, it's really very easy. Well, if you can just do this and this, or oh, would you like to watch a video on how to? <laughs> I'm like, shut up, MailChimp. I'm trying. <laughs> I did watch the video, <laughs> and then every morning it's kind of like. Hey, you signed up, but you haven't done everything <laughs> yet. I'm, like, I'm trying so hard. <laughs> well, sign up for Laura's mailing list <laughs> and find out what the next exciting installment in this battle of Mailchimp is. <laughs> um, also, you're selling well. uh, prints, aren't you, of your? Yeah, I've got a lovely image. You you have to go online to look at it, I guess, but it's on my um my Facebook page and stuff. Uh, it's a cake being held out of deep ocean with its birthday candles lit uh, in a stormy sea and it's very beautiful people have really somewhat depressing (laughs) but it's triumphant and joyful at the same time people have had strong emotional responses to something i never really expected them to yeah i like the idea of the image but i didn't realize how much people were going oh oh i want a copy of that well, go and go and buy one. Help it, uh, Laura buy her avocado and toast in Edinburgh. Yeah, I need it. Thank you. I'll talk to you again soon. See you soon.